our governments are receiving all these requests super fast to grow, to repair, to upgrade, to, mm-hmm. to give social support. Mm-hmm. If government understand that they can use technology, academia and private sector understand that they can serve this technology and citizens adopt this technology towards this sustainability, trust, and more balanced urban growth, then you have a smart city. Welcome Getting There fans. I'm your host, Alejandro Garcia Maya. More than 80% of the global GDP is generated in cities. Yet most cities struggle with outdated infrastructures, inefficient processes, and corruption. Across the globe, around 20% of government revenues go missing each year, and 87% of government workers express that the systems used don't meet their needs. How can we improve governmental processes and increase the efficiency of these valuable cities? On today's show, we have Jesus Cepeda, founder of OS City, a company dedicated to implementing technology, improving government efficiency through digitization. In this episode, Jesus and I discuss the importance of creating smarter cities. We go over questions such as, what is a smart city? What are the advantages and disadvantages of smart cities? How do cities currently collect data? How can smart cities affect and change governments around the world? And much more. Join us in our conversation. Let's do this. What does success mean to you? I'm the kind of person that likes to believe that happiness is a journey and it's not a destination. And I feel the same towards success. When you are able to match your talents with a sense of serving others, a purpose-driven life, if you traverse that journey, then that's success. What did you study? I did mechatronics engineering, and then I went straight to a PhD, and the PhD was in collaborative robotics, was to create smarter societies uh, of robots. And this is why I jumped into let's create smarter societies of humans. (laughs) (laughs) Before we do it for robots, why not for humans? (laughs) Yes, it was like, okay, this is working, but I think that we can help. I did a PhD also here in, in the Tecnologico de Monterrey, in Monterrey, Mexico. It's a private university in collaboration with the UFMG from Belo Horizonte in Brazil. And that was a super amazing experience. I wish I was uh, more into the entrepreneurial mindset at that time, because at that time I was much more oriented to being a researcher and raising the bar of robotics and artificial intelligence for Latin America. That was my main goal at that time. Then I understood that there is a way better approach to serve, and I found myself here. Before learning more about OS.city, we like to go over a couple problems. According to UN, 70% of the world's population is projected to live in urban areas by 2050. Today, 55% of the world's population lives in urban areas. More than 1 billion people now live in the slums of the world's cities. And by 2050, the slum population is expected to grow to more than 3 billion, 30% of the projected mm-hmm. population of 9.7 billion in 2050. Yes. When you think that 70% of the population of the total 9 billion are going to be living in cities, then you're saying that almost half of that population right. is going to be living in an slum. Incredible. So, so every, one out of two people are going to be living in urban areas in a slum. <laughs> That's crazy. 
So according to World Bank, cities of the world represent 75% of global energy consumption and 80% of greenhouse gas emissions and a disproportionate share of resource use. And as humans, just covering the 3% of the total area or surface of the earth. So all that that you said just happens in 3% of Earth's surface. surface. Wow, Mm -hmm. of all that energy consumption. So before learning a bit more about OS.city, can you give us a definition of what a smart city is? The early uh, concept of uh, smart cities, probably 90s or early, early 2000s, it was much more focused on technology. But hopefully today people is understanding that a smart city is nothing but a city that is well planned, that has a mindset towards sustainability and trust. And for this, you need three things to happen. First, governments that are aware that they have the tools to cope with this rise of urbanization, mm. the, the rate of, that we are urbanizing to get those 70% of population in the next 30 years to living in urban areas, it demands for an exponential growth in urbanization. Mm. This means that our governments are receiving all these requests super fast to grow, to repair, to upgrade, mm-hmm. to give social support. If government understand it, that they can use technology, academia and private sector understand that they can serve this technology and citizens adopt this technology towards this sustainability, trust and more balanced urban growth, then you have a smart city. What does OS.city do and what problem are you solving? Essentially, what we are trying to do is to improve the government's efficiency. We created a software framework to transform governments into models of digital services. If you're familiar, for example, with WordPress, have you ever used WordPress for something? Yeah, for a website. Yes, 35% of the websites on the internet are built on WordPress. So why does it happen? Because it was so easy to build your website. Why? Because they did a software framework with certain rules and things of operation, a community because it is open source, and then people started building plugins. So if you wanted users to log in or sign up in your website, there was a complete pain. But now you got a plugin and you click, poof, I want a marketplace and I want a shopping cart and I want people to be able to pay with PayPal. And you just add plugins and you have all these services in your website, departing from an open source software framework. And this is what we did. We did a software framework instead of plugins, we call them modules. And according to the major city needs, we decide which models are the first one for them. This is the main value, the opportunity for majors to have a city-wide perspective that is almost real time of what's happening. The first uh, deployment that we have uh, here in Mexico was in a city called Tanepantla, close by to Mexico City. The major, she was so into to innovation, to technology, that the, she was being interviewed and she says like, yeah, then now we have this portal that is tdb.digital, you jump in and citizens can do this and operators can do this and I can easily know what is happening. And, and the person that, that the interviewer said to her like, oh, so you can see it um, real time. Yes. So tell me how many broken streetlights that we have right now. So he was trying to just do bad press to her. And then she took out her phone, she logged in, she showed the charts and she was like, pop, pop, pop. This is what is happening. And that's not even the future. That should be the present, right? (laughs) You should know what's happening in your city. How were governments gathering and analyzing data now? Just having data, it's a big thing for governments. It's hard to grasp 
because government has a lot of information influx. They generate a lot of data. They receive a lot of information. The thing is, there's a huge lack of a structuring. And most of the time, it is not even digital. It's in a notebook. It's in a paper. So this thing is what is really hard for governments to understand that then there is a chance for improvement, for efficiency, for trust, for transparency, for accountability, for saving money and generating more money for a government when you start digitizing, when you start thinking about digital processes instead of fulfilling a law requirement that demands for a paper to be signed and physically somewhere in an office. What are some examples of governments out there that have done a really good job converting their cities into smart cities? I cannot say that there is a, a government that it's actually doing everything properly. For us, focusing in Latin America, there's always inspiration in the Nordics, Sweden, Norway, Finland. These kind of countries are operating way differently than we do in terms of using technology and using data as part of their daily processes across the different ecosystems and particularly around artificial intelligence and blockchain for government, Estonia is one of the best examples. For example, federal elections, just getting a new president, it mm. takes less than 90 seconds. Anonymously voting and ensuring full participation. 90 seconds. How? So, How is that done? They use blockchain. They, they have everything based on a blockchain-based uh, identification. So instead of just having a regular ID as a citizen, you have a blockchain ID and you use this blockchain ID for everything for voting, for banking, for healthcare, for schools, for everything. Because blockchain works as a democracy. It is a consensus-based technology. So if the majority says something, that is believed to be the truth. The more nodes you have in a blockchain network, the more computers are involved in a blockchain network, the harder it is to convince 51% or more than they have to believe in a consensus that is not true. So for example, uh, Bitcoin, that was one of the most popular uses of blockchain, there are hundreds of thousands of nodes of computers running the Bitcoin and replicating the Bitcoin database. So if you want to hack the Bitcoin and grab some money and then change it to dollars, you need to hack like half of the internet working with Bitcoin. There's no computing power for, to, for doing that. Currently and that's a piece of security. In this case, if I'm voting for a candidate, that vote is registered in a ton of different computers all across the world. And if someone wanted to hack and change my vote, they would have to do it across many different computers. So that's why blockchain is very powerful. Exactly. That is unhackable because there is no computing power till today in, in across the world to hack all these computers at the same time. It's a very, very trustable, reliable, transparent technology. I think it's a great thing for public sector particularly. So that's one example of blockchain and democratization and being able to more efficiently be able to vote for one of your candidates. What are other examples out there? On the construction permits, for example, most of the times when you have a big construction project or urban development project, it says like, okay, it's going to be a residential area. So no one complains. But at some point, when it's like 70, 80% of finished, they change the permit and they say like, it's going to be commercial. So suddenly in front of your house, you have these 20 stores mm -hmm. and you feel like, oh, what happened to my house? But you have no time to complain. And when you look at the permits, they say like, no, it was commercial from the beginning. So it was tempered, but you cannot tell. And now yeah. with this kind of blockchain services, you give an opportunity again for the citizens to become an auditor and for permits to be tamper proof. 
So you reduce bribery and you increase transparency or accountability. And in, so no, uh, no longer stamps or physical papers or whatever that says the permit says is residential and then they can forge that and then turn it into commercial just by using blockchain alone and saying this is residential. They can't alter it again. Exactly. So blockchain is a very powerful tool to bring in transparency to a lot of different processes. What about artificial intelligence? Have you come across mm -hmm. cases where artificial intelligence is put to use? Yes, definitely. And this is much more oriented into image recognition and language processing. From the image part, just think about how when we started using Facebook, you started tagging your friends. Mm -hmm. And now think about when was the last time that you tagged a friend? Facebook recognizes the faces of your friends. We have taught machines how a broken street light looked like how a broken traffic light, how a pothole, how a damaged park, how insecurity, how graffiti, how situations look like. And this helps a lot. How do you determine what is a great solution for a city? If it reduces processes, if it reduces human intervention, for example, uh, a regular government in Latin America at the city level, if you just call their, their 311, the number for public services, and you say like, Hey, you know, uh, like uh, just across my street, there is a super big pothole. Can you repair that? And they say like, okay, what's your name? Blah, 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 blah. Same questions every time you call. So there is no user. There is no, oh, I remember you, Alejandro. There is nothing <laughs> like that. So you need to answer a lot of questions. It's like a 25 to 30 minute call just to say there's a pothole, come and repair it. So you answer all these questions. These questions are captured by a person at the call center. They print that page and that page goes into a desk. And then on Fridays, a messenger person, like mailman and for the insider government, they grab all these things on a Friday and then next Monday they start putting all these papers or all these citizen requests on the corresponding desk of the government agency that it's responsible to repair. If it's a pothole, then it goes here. If it's a street light, then it goes here. If hmm. it's a security concern, then it goes there. So let's say on Wednesday, you are in charge of pothole repairing and you at your desk there is this paper and you see it and you say like, Oh yeah, but this is not on a public space. Mm. So you put it on the left of your desk and you wait for the next Friday <laughs> for the messenger to come and grab it and to put it on the right desk. So it can take up to three weeks <laughs> just for your request to land on the exact desk to, for it to be actionable. In the in-between, you as a citizen, you are seeing the pothole and you don't even know what's happening inside government. Government is working and you're feeling that they're doing nothing. They are actually doing a lot, but it's a slow manual analog process. Mm. If it was digital, you just change the category or you just change the responsible and they can reassign the thing immediately. And every reassignment, it can send an email like a bot sending an email or an SMS to your phone saying like your pothole report or request was channeled and, and it was reassigned and it was solved. So you are feeling heard as a citizen. You're optimizing the process for governments at the same time. What has uh, OS.City been able to accomplish? It's building a team, building an ecosystem, showing that there is a way to serve governments with these kind of technologies, make an impact in terms of corruption and transparency and trust and sustainable growth, and still make money. Just validating that there is a for-profit way to improve the way we are governed, that is, a, that is a big win. In the end, we are a startup. I have a PhD in artificial intelligence and robotics. What am I doing in government technology? <laughs> <laughs> so so this, this is why it feels like a big win, like an accomplishment for OS City. Becoming a for-profit company, 
three-year-old, a team across Latin America, selling to major countries or saving major governments for major countries in Latin America, including, for example, Mexico, Argentina, Chile, Colombia, Brazil, uh, now Bolivia and Costa Rica and Peru are jumping in. We're stepping forward in something that didn't even look as an industry. Now we can talk about government technology or GovTech as an industry. And we feel that it's almost getting into an inflection point. Is there anything that I didn't get to ask that you'd love to share? Let's leverage or let's take this crisis as a great opportunity to dedicate our lives to what feels like a purpose. And if you feel like, yeah, but how can I find purpose? And how can I make business out of purpose? It is relatively simple these days. You can grab one of the sustainable development goals. There are 17 from the UN. They are so wide that you can tackle hunger or education or urban sustainability or oceans. There will be an area for you. And if you read that and you read the goals, you may find one or two specific objectives around one of the sustainable development goals that fulfill your heart. And that means that there is a global market (laughs) that will buy something from you if you address that thing. Mm -hmm. So you can still make money, particularly if you use one of these exponential technologies as well. If you mix AI, for example, or blockchain for hunger, there is a high chance that you're going to raise funds easily (laughs) Uh, because the world is moving there. Money is moving there. So this is the great time as crisis is growing. The opportunity is growing for us to dedicate our lives in a more fulfilling approach. And this is how I found myself fighting for government. And when you are in the pursuit of purpose, then you, you are willing to crash into a wall until the wall falls down. Well, that's this week's episode of Getting There. Thank you all for listening to the Getting There podcast. Very much appreciated. Be sure to visit gettingtherepodcast.com to learn about more leaders solving the world's most pressing problems through our videos, games, blogs, and more. If you are or have a friend who's a social impact leader using scalable technology to find sustainable solutions for world pressing problems, please reach out to my team and I at guest at gettingtherepodcast.com. That is guest at gettingtherepodcast.com. Catch a new episode every Tuesday. If you enjoyed the show and want to spread love back to my team and I, please make sure to subscribe and rate us. Have a wonderful day. And as my grandfather would say, adelante y arriba.